All right, y'all, let's go ahead and take our seats. All right, let's go ahead and take our seats. We're going to pray. Um, was thinking of this while we were doing the confession. Do you know what Luther used to say to a, a buddy of his named Melanchthon? Melanchthon used to come to him because Luther used to do this too. He used to go to a guy named Staupitz and he would tell him all the sins that he was doing, every thought, word, deed, and he would confess and then he would leave and he'd come back and Staupitz was like, get out of here. Uh, so he saw that Melanchthon was doing the same thing to him and he said, listen, don't come to me with your piddly sins anymore. If you have something to confess, confess it. And what Luther was communicating to him was this, is that Jesus' power and what he did on the cross and what he did on the resurrection is manifested in your real sin. In your real sin. So if you feel like a real sinner, you have an absolute real Savior. And when you trust him, you know what happens? You magnify him. You glorify him. You show him to be the only one that can deal with sin. The only one that can handle your guilt. The only one whose power is enough. And when you trust him like that, actually as a sinner, you're exalting him, glorifying him. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. All right, so here's our text for today. Psalm 10. This is how it begins. Kind of caught my attention. Just right to the point. David's right to the point. Why, O oh Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? There it is. And you have to keep reading because he's not done. I mean, he's just like, he's laying it all before the Lord. Why, 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 why? And then, here's how he ends. Arise, O oh Lord. Arise. So we're going to tell and ask, and maybe that's you, why, oh Lord, do you stand so far away from me? Why, oh Lord, where are you in times of trouble? And we're going to ask him to arise in your life, because that's what David did. And then we're going to ask him to arise in other people's lives. So let's pray together. Lord, hear our prayers. Uh, this is an amazing thing. This is an amazing prayer. It's literally taking things that absolutely destroy us and bother us inside us, that comes out of us, stuff that comes at us, and David lays them all before you, like, like, a, like in great detail, specificity, complaints, trouble, pains, anxieties, hurts. Hear our prayer. And like David, Lord, we ask you to arise in these areas because you already did. And so, Lord, we pray for loved ones. We pray for family members. We pray for friends. We pray for this church. We pray for those that we just met and they told us something, confided in us about things, troubles. We pray for them right now.
as David prayed, Arise, O Lord, because you already did. And then, Lord, we pray for this church, and we pray for the city, and we pray for your churches in the city, and ask that you would help all of us, all your people, learn to lay out their lives before you with great detail the things that trouble us, hurt us, pain us, our own sin, our own shame, the bad stuff that comes at us, the bad stuff we're in the midst of, the culture, and help us to like talk to you like this. Help your church talk to you like Psalm 10 so that we can actually lay this stuff before you because not that you don't know it because even the psalmist gets at the end and says, you do see this, you do know this. In fact, you hold all mischief and all trouble and all vexation, what a great word, in your hand. But we need to tell you And so would you cause your church to be like that? And we'd have this gutsy grace sense of calling upon you to arise in these areas because you already did. And Lord, maybe this kind of relating to you would get through the hokiness that so often entraps Christianity. That we are actually, Lord, your church, your people living with reality. So would you grant this, Lord? And in this simple, small way of people being real before their God is so attractive, so incredibly like, what a strange thing. A human being honestly communicating, conversing, laying their life before God that they actually think hears them and sees them. And not only that, can arise and do something about it. So, oh Lord, make us those kind of people. By the power of your grace, we ask in Jesus' name and God's people said, good. All right. Well, y'all are here on this long weekend. Good night. You didn't have better plans? Nobody invited you on a lake or something? Well, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad I'm here. I can still be invited to the lake or something like that, too, just saying. All right, um, so Lucy. Lucy is a mom of two boys. Uh, the, the two boys are Kevin, age five, Ryan, age three. And she wants to make their favorite meal for breakfast. So she makes pancakes. So, of course, when the boys learn of this, they're absolutely excited. Like, can you imagine? I mean, yeah! Five-year-old, three-year-old boys, yes, pancakes, right? Uh, how many of you are, are boy moms, just uh, boy moms? Okay, so boy moms, you know that there are going to be two things that are going to happen with this happy news, right? The first thing that's going to happen is that these boys will hover, right? They will be hovering right over mom around the pancakes. Are they done yet? Mom, you're taking too long, right? That's the first thing that will happen. The second thing will happen, well, what moms with boys? They will argue. And you're asking, well, what will they argue about? First, I want to say to you, if you haven't had boys, what do boys not argue about? Just saying. They will argue, I get the first pancake. No, you don't, Mom! Right? It's going to come down to the pancake. Who gets the first pancake? 
so Lucy, though, is a godly mom. And being a godly mom, she's read a lot of books on parenting. She's read Shepherding a Child's Heart, Age of Opportunity, Give Them Grace. She's read Instrument in Redeemer's Hands. She's read Growing Kids God's Way. I do not recommend that book at all. If you read that, you read that to see what God would have you not do when you raise your kids. She's feeling highly motivated. She sees an opportunity in her kids for God to work, right? Who wouldn't? She's a godly mom. So she says, quote, boys, if Jesus were sitting here, he would say, let my brother have the first pancake. I can wait. <laughs> so Kevin, age five, turns to his younger brother, Ryan, and says, Ryan, you be Jesus. <laughs> that is the best freaking story. Ever. I love it because Ryan has better theology than his mom, right? Absolutely he does. Waiting. No one wants to wait. How many of you like to wait? No one wants to wait. We don't want to wait for a pancake, much less for something like joy. And Philippians knows that. We could say it this way, better yet. Philippians... The Apostle Paul, the Bible, God knows that. God knows that no one likes to wait, especially for joy. Spurgeon, a famous pastor in the early 18, well, mid-1800s, late 1800s, he said this, he said, waiting is the hardest thing for Christians to do. I think faith is, but this is, this is very interesting. He says this, it may seem an easy thing to wait, but it's one of the postures that a Christian cannot learn without years of teaching. Marching and quick marching are much easier for God's warriors than standing still. Waiting. No one wants to wait for joy. March for joy? You bet. Quick march to get it? Even better. Wait for joy? Ryan, you be Jesus. So, here's what we're going to do. We're going to wait for joy. We're going to take an adventure. We're going to take a dive into Philippians for the next, I don't know, two months, two and a half months. And you need to be thinking this way. Wait for joy. Because morning is coming. There is joy in the morning And it's coming. Please stand for the hearing of God's word. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, right away at verse 2, this is the third time Christ Jesus has been mentioned. I thank my God and all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Fourth time. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. 
For God is my witness, how I yearn for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus, number five. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, meaning insight, so that you may approve what is excellent and be so pure and blameless for the day of Christ, number six. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, number seven, to the glory and praise of God. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. So, Lord, would you fill us with your spirit? Give us clarity to the mind, realness to the heart. Would you shine on the page? Oh, Lord, we ask in your name, amen. Okay, so welcome to Philippians, which is joy in jail. So everyone wants joy. No one wants jail. Paul has both. This is our series title, Joy in Jail. So last week, we looked at what is joy. And what we did is we looked at a controlling image, like a dominating picture. In other words, what I'd like to do is just go into the wall of your imagination and hang a picture on it for all the Philippians. So we're going into your imagination, and I'm going to put a picture and hang it up on the wall of your imagination. And here it is. Joy is what happens when you run into a tree. The tree doesn't move. You do with joy. Now, some of you are wondering, well, why don't you ever tell the story about what actually happened about you running to that tree? And I'm telling you right now, I'm not going to tell you the story about what happened in my tree. My parents are here. They don't know why I ran into that tree. Joy is an effect. It's not a cause. The cause is the tree. When you hit the tree, the cause, there's an effect called joy. So Philippians is all about hitting the tree, this cosmic tree that was mentioned seven times already in the beginning of the book. And in so doing, you reverberate, you affect with joy. Biblically, theologically, we could say this. In other words, from the Old Testament to the New Testament to Jesus actually saying stuff to Paul and all the other New Testament writers, the whole Bible says it this way, joy is the fruit of faith. So doctrinally, if you want to be really precise, you say something like that. Joy is the fruit of faith. So in other words, when you are resting and relying and rejoicing in Jesus, the tree, and his salvation, the fruit is joy. The effect is joy. When you're growing in a gospel life, the effect is joy comes. Paul says it this way. He actually says it's actually the fruit of the Spirit, that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. The Holy Spirit, having more um, functional experiential reality in your life, is the same thing as believing the gospel, because that's what the Holy Spirit does, helps you believe the gospel. So that's why it would be the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of faith, Jesus says the same thing by saying, I am the vine and you are the branches. In me, you bear much fruit. Apart from me is nothingness. Okay? We're saying it this way because we want to be a little more sassy and we want to be a little more vivid and we want to have a little more pictorial to it. Joy is what happens when you run into Christ Jesus. You move. He doesn't move. You move with joy. Joy is what happens when you run into someone more. When you run into someone more, you move with joy. Okay? This means two things before we even look at what we're going to look at today. 
This means two things. You can have joy in jail because Jesus doesn't move in jail. You do with joy. This is why at the end of the book, Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. The reason why he can say that is because the tree never moves. Christ Jesus never moves. So what situation are you in? Where are you in? He doesn't move. You do with joy. So you can rejoice, which is joy in verbal form, always, in all places, at all times, everywhere, even when you're doing Psalm 10 and laying out all your pains and hurts and sorrows before the Lord. This is amazing, right? That was last week. Amazing stuff. <laughs> and we haven't even like got into the book yet. But here's the question, right? It's that question that, you know, it's like Voldemort. Nobody wants to say it. Nobody wants to name it. Nobody wants to verbalize it. But what if you don't have joy? I have no joy. Joy is missing in action in my life. Jeff, I forget what joy feels like. I have joy amnesia. It's been so long since I've had joy. I don't even know what joy tastes like. I don't know what it feels like. Or joy, yeah, I believe in joy, but joy is what happens to other people, not me. Joy is a myth. Or, yeah, I, you know, joy, joy is always fading, it's always fleeting, and it's always futile. Just it's like wind, you just never seem to get it. It's not solid, it's not something you can just hang on to and have. It's just impossibly, it, it comes and goes and nobody knows when, and nobody knows where, and maybe if you're lucky, you get one breeze in your whole life. Joy is impossible. Many today, many Christians, many pastors, many Bible leaders, many uh, Bible experts and churches are asking, yeah, but where? is the joy. And when will I have joy? And then the scary question, why don't I have joy? How long, oh Lord? How long must I wait for joy? I want you to hear me as clear as possible. I want you to hear Philippians 1-11 through 11 as clear as possible. I want you to hear the Bible as clear as possible. I want you to hear God as clear as possible. What he's saying to you right now, if that's you, wait for joy. Joy is coming. There will be joy in the morning. Morning is coming. Wait for joy. Morning is coming. Let's look at verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints. The literal translations is to all the holy people. It's a, I like that better. Saints is confusing. It's a confusing translation because many denominations have different meanings for saints, quite frankly. But holy people is a pretty good one. 
to all the holy people in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi. Literally, that's the meaning. It says at in your ESV. Sorry I'm giving you this detail, but sometimes I need to because people go, why do you say this? Well, this is why. The literal is in, and they're parallel. So there are two places in this text. In Christ Jesus, holy people in Christ Jesus and in Philippi. If you put at in there, you ruin the parallelism. Do you see that? So you don't necessarily pick it up when you read it. But if the end's in there, you go, there's two ends. There's two locations. There's two places. Place number one, Christ Jesus. Place number two, Philippi. Amazing. It's almost like Paul would say, listen, if I turn first one into a catechism question, it'd be like this. Where do you live? Where do you move? Where do you have your being? And the answer would be in Christ Jesus, number one, and in Philippi, number two, or Waco, or Temple, or Bruce Filetti. Just even understanding that, I wish I, I could preach three sermons on that. I'm not going to, because we've got to get moving. We've got to get out of these first couple verses. Knowing that you live in two places simultaneously is amazing theology and amazing implications, and the rest of the book will unpack some of that. We're not going to do it right now. But here's what we are going to do. Guess who founded place number two, Philippi? When I, this was so, I got so excited, I was like, oh man, I better get going or I'm never going to have a message because I need to keep going. I kept wanting to do the historical research. You know who founded Philippi? Alexander the Great's dad. Alexander the Great grew up in Philippi. It's his hometown. It's where he received his education by a nobody named Aristotle. <laughs> Somebody gets my joke sometimes. Fantastic. It's where he had a vision. He had a dream, right? It's where he had a vision. I will conquer the world. This is Alexander the Great. I have a dream. I have a dream to make the world in my image, to make it Greek. Greek in culture, Greek in language, Greek in architecture, Greek in government, Greek in business and economy, and Greek in war. One way to think about Alexander the Great is this. Those of you that, you know, you kind of, well, you know, Alexander the Great, he did conquer the world, but then there was the Roman Empire. Here's how you need to think about Alexander the Great. There is no Roman Empire without him. Absolutely none. That's how great this man was. So that's where the church at Philippi is. Living in Philippi means this. It's the same thing as saying living in Waco, living in Temple, living in Austin, Dallas, China. Living in Philippi means you must wait for joy. Because Philippi is never the cosmic tree. If you run into Philippi to look for joy, Philippi will move on you. Philippi doesn't have any immovable quality to it. Philippi doesn't have something more to it. It moves. And this is why when Jesus is summoning up Philippi or the world or Waco, he says stuff like this. 
It's the place where moths destroy. It moves. In other words, fires can come in and wipe out whole communities and burn hundreds and hundreds of children alive. And hurricanes can come in and decimate whole coastlines and states and countries. Moths, natural calamities and disasters destroy. And he says, not only that, it's the place where rust wears it out. Do you remember when you had your first car? I don't know if you were young, you had your first car, or when you first got something that resembled something new. And maybe you have a new car. But you remember the first time you got a scratch or a dent or a bump in it? Oh, my word, right? What? It wears out. Think of your body. It rusts. It wears out. And then Jesus goes on and says, it's, Philippi is also the place where thieves break in and steal. Do you know what that means? That's now like intelligent evil. Sinfulness. Human sinfulness and evil breaks in and steals marriages. Breaks in and steals communities. Breaks in and steals churches. Or you go on the cosmic level and you have cosmic thieves. And they go into nations and they break and steal nations and make them incredibly poor. And generate warfare. And then these thieves go into churches and they oppress Christians and churches and persecute them. And then these thieves break in and steal and they deceive whole cultures with stupid beliefs. Philippi will always move on you. There's no joy, ultimately, in Philippi. So in Philippi, you must wait for joy. It's just what we have to do. And some of you are thinking, but listen, I'm a Christian, Jeff. I'm in place number one. I'm in Christ Jesus. I'm in God's church. So where is the joy, preacher? I want you to look at place number one again. If we go to verse one. All right, in Christ Jesus, right? See that? Now, do you see it? What comes before in Christ Jesus, the saints, but we're not saying the saints, we're saying the holy people. So the answer is what comes before in Christ Jesus, the holy people in Christ Jesus. This means holy people hit the tree and move. And right at the beginning of the book, before we even begin in verse 1, the number one problem to joy is right there. The number one barrier to your joy is in the greeting What is the number one barrier to your joy? What's the number one barrier to my joy? What's the number one barrier to anyone's joy? But I'm not holy. I'm not a holy person. Every day you're thinking, you're feeling, your feelings. Every day you're experiencing Every day you're desiring and you're doing says, but you are not holy. Every day your relationships say to you, but you are not holy. 
Every day your anger says to you, but you are not holy. Every day the way you handle sex says to you, but you are not holy. Your need for control says to you, but you are not holy. And just so we kind of like, I don't know, the need for control is kind of elevated today. It's almost like controlling people are elevated people, like they're really cool people because they get things done and, you know, they're hyper-managing. And um, I just want to kind of like break that myth just a little bit. I'm a controlling person, so I can say it. So if you're like, eh, I'll say, well, it's right back at you, Okay. The Bible calls the need for control living under the law. The Bible calls the need for control justification by works. The Bible calls the need for control sanctification, which is the Christian life, by something other than faith alone. In other words, faith plus something. So if you're controlling in your relationship with God, and it's... It's mirrored as spirituality. It's really not. It's just your need for control. It's just your need to justify yourself by works. So enough of that. That's too uncomfortable. Everyday experience tells you, but I am not in control. Everyday experience says to us, but you're not a holy person. Right? So I can't have joy. Do you see how this works? But I'm not a holy person. So here it is. It's amazing. It's like subconsciously or consciously. In other words, your mental health stuff, the weird self-defense mechanisms that we put in. We won't let ourselves have joy because we know we're not holy. So you can never, ever be truly joyful because you know deep down in your guts and your bones you're not holy, and you know that holiness is connected to joy, and therefore you're not holy, you're disconnected from joy. Whether you say it consciously, it's going on subconsciously. It's in your mental health. It's weird defense mechanisms. But what if you are holy? What if you are holy? What if holy people in Christ Jesus means you are holy in Christ Jesus? In other words, you are not holy in you, but in Christ Jesus. You're not holy in your thinking, feelings, desiring, doings, but you are in Christ Jesus. You're not holy in your work, in your performance, in your addictions, in your anger, but you are in Christ Jesus. You're not holy in your love and your passion, your commitment and your worship and your reading the Bible and disciplines, but you are holy in Christ Jesus. What if holy people in Christ Jesus means you are holy in Christ Jesus? In other words, you are holy in you because of Christ Jesus. You are holy in your thinking and your feeling and your experiencing and your desiring and doing in Christ Jesus. You are holy in your passions and your work and your on the ball field and at school and in Philippi in Christ Jesus. 
that's a game changer. That'll change your life. Where you can be in two places at the same time. In Christ Jesus and in Philippi. A sinner, but still holy. Amazing. And when you and I get this, we just hit the tree. And you'll never recover. That means you can stand in the most uncomfortable places in your life and still be okay. Because you are wholly in Christ Jesus. Not in yourself. Not as the song says, I dare not trust the sweetest frame. That's exactly right. I wholly trust in Jesus' name. Absolutely. You can be on top of it spiritually, but you dare not trust that because you're not holy there. You're holy in Christ Jesus. But the opposite is the, is the truth too. You dare not trust in the worst frame in you. You wholly trust in Jesus' name. You're holy in Christ Jesus. Do you see how unbelievable this is to where you can deal with whatever God is dealing with your life and still be okay because you are holy in Christ Jesus? You just ran into the tree. Amazing. Where am I? I don't know. Wait for joy. That's the point. The point is wait for joy because you have to wait for joy in Philippi. But morning is coming. There is joy in the morning because you're in Christ Jesus. Okay, let's, uh, let's look at some of the objections to this. I forget what joy feels like, that joy amnesia. I want you to, let's go to verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So verse 2 is what theologians call a speech act. Do you know what a speech act is? A speech act is it does what it says. So often we approach the Bible. The Bible is one big speech act. So often we approach the Bible as if the Bible is simply conveying information. I got that. Good. Oh, there's the doctrine I believe in. Right? Conveying information. But do you know that every time awakenings broke out in the history of the church, do you know what happened? their view of the Bible changed. The Bible wasn't just a place that conveys information. The Bible is a place that God gets things done. The Bible isn't just saying things. The Bible is doing things with what it's saying. And you get a clear picture of it here. Grace to you and peace. Paul's not saying, you know, grace to you tomorrow. Grace to you when you're feeling good. Grace to you when you get your act together. Grace to you and peace right now from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Speech act. I give you grace right now. We say it this way, like you are getting grace and peace. This is absolute joy, isn't it? On the spot. You're getting grace and peace, as Bradley Norris says, in your seat right now. This is amazing. So as you read this, grace and peace to you. As you hear this, grace and peace to you. As you study this, grace and peace to you. As you are taught this, grace and peace to you. As you tell somebody about it, grace and peace to you. 
Not tomorrow, now. Not next Easter, now. Grace and peace to you now. Joy to you now. It's amazing. This is just a side note, but what Paul is basically telling you, the number one way to find practical joy in your life is to read your Bible or hear a sermon. Grace and peace, joy to you right now. That's what he's saying to the Philippian church. It's amazing. So wait for joy. Mourning is coming. All right, joy is what happens to other people. It doesn't happen to me. Joy doesn't happen to me. Joy is a myth. It's a myth. Or, well, let's look at it this way. Let's look at 1-3. I thank my God and all my remembrance of you. So he's praying. Now, he's praying, but notice the first thing that he does when he prays is he thanks God. Now, why do you thank God? Why would you thank God for something? Because he did something. This is amazing. The very beginning of the book, he starts to pray, and when he prays, it's not a petition. He's already thanking God for what God has already done. He's already thanking God for what God is already doing. In other words, he's thanking God because God is doing stuff in the Philippian church. He's thanking God because God is doing stuff in the pastors and the church leaders and the servant leaders and in the congregation. He's he's thanking God because stuff is happening. And the reason why he asked God for further stuff is because he knows God does stuff. This is amazing. So God is at work. This is absolute joy. So in the first objection, it's grace and peace comes to you right now. Joy comes to you right now. That's your hope. You can wait for joy because it does come right now. It can come right now. And now you look at it and you say, well, he's also done this in other people, and he's done this in other churches, and he's done this in church leaders and congregants and all kinds of people. That's why Paul's thanking God. So it happens. But some of you are still thinking, but Jeff, how can you be so sure of this? How can you be so sure that God, sure he worked in the Philippian church. That's the Bible. Sure he worked in Bible times. Well, everyone knows he worked when Jesus was around. Who wouldn't God not work when Paul walks into a city? But this is Waco, and this is my home, and this is my life. Joy is for other people, it's not for me. How can you be so sure? Look at verse 6. And I am sure of this. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. God is not done with you yet. You can wait for joy because he's not done with you yet. And the reason why you're waiting for joy is because he's not done with you yet. How do you know How do you know that he's done with me? How how am I going to know he's done with me? When you open your eyes in heaven, then you'll know. But he's not done with you yet. So you can wait for joy because morning is coming. There's joy in the morning 
because he's not done with you yet. Let me pray for us.